In cooking, there's always that secret ingredient that makes a dish special. In the L.A. music scene, Lenny Castro has been that secret ingredient for decades. Lenny has recorded and toured with hundreds of major recording artists throughout his amazing career. His mastery of percussion has made him a first-call studio musician and one of the most recorded in the history of popular music. He's also had the good fortune to not have to pound the pavement for his first gigs in L.A. It was Melissa Manchester who encouraged the teenage New York native to follow her to L.A. He didn't think twice and took the job. One contact led to another, and he found himself playing gigs on a regular basis. Inside Music Cast is pleased to welcome the legendary Lenny Castro. Hey, Lenny, thanks for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. <laughs> welcome. Well, hey, you know, we're so glad to have you on the show. We've, Absolutely. Eddie and I have been talking about having you on for such a long time, and, and uh, I know schedules are tough, and I've been in contact with you off and on throughout the years, but we're just glad you're here today. And, yeah, uh, thanks for your patience. I appreciate <laughs> it. <laughs> no problem. Hey, you know, even though, even though you're known as, you know, a West Coast cat, you know, you were born and raised in New York City. And like, exactly. you know, so many of our guests, you were influenced by, you know, musical parents, and your father was a keyboard player, but I think it was your stepfather who gave you your first set of congas and even a drum set. And I think you were only like five years old at the time. So tell us about this memory and how you felt about these instruments at such an early age. Well, uh, well, getting them, you know, first of all, starting off at such an early, I started off at about three years old, you know, and I, you know, I, I vaguely remember getting those, those bongos. I have, you know, my mother has pictures of that, you mm-hmm. know, uh, me, me getting them and playing them. And I remember, you know, it was such a joy to be able to play with them and play along with the music that was going on through my house yeah. all the time, you know. And uh, and then to finally get a conga and, and, you know, one thing led to another. And, you know, well, unbeknownst to me, you know, my parents were just nurturing what they saw I had. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, it was just a natural thing, and I was very blessed to have, you know, parents that were, so, that were sensitive enough and, you know, cool enough to support support their child mm-hmm. and, and especially being a musician because mm-hmm. in those days that was like oh you're going to be a musician yeah but what are you going to do as a job right right you know? <laughs> right <laughs> i mean i went through a lot of that kind of nonsense even uh the older i got you know when i first moved to la you know i was about 19 20 years old single uh i had no bank account you know trying to open up a bank account <laughs> <laughs> You know, just coming, oh, you're a musician? Okay, you're 19? All right, you're single? Strike three! You're out of here! <laughs> Funny how that even happens today, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, even even on today's standards, it's kind of wishy-washy. You know, you, you, know, you get the stink eye. <laughs> you're going to be a what? <laughs> foot these days. You know, in the old days, you got the stink foot up your ass. You know? <laughs> but, you know, and luckily, you know, I went out, to, I came out to L.A. with, with a young lady who was pretty much well established, Melissa Manchester, and she, uh, she was uh, she knew people here. And uh, I think it was Wells Fargo had this uh, a music department where the the head of the music department I forgot his name. He was a, such a great guy. He opened up a bank account for me. He says, "Len, don't worry about it. Don't listen to these guys. They're full of shit. You're a great musician. Don't worry about it. Keep your money here." It was you know he was real cool. I was like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> I can like go with that. Yeah. But anyway, I digress. I mean, you know, like, you know, growing up in uh, New York, and uh, it was a playground for me. And like I said, like you said, you know, my parents had an incredible vinyl library. Sure. And uh, and their support getting my drum set and my congas, you know, the natural possession, progression of what I went through naturally, they were very sensitive to. Yeah. yeah. You yeah. know, to the point where you know they pushed me. 
to to get into orchestras and to go farther. You know, I remember my when junior high school, I was kind of bummed out because I was like just in junior high school and I wanted to play with the senior band. Yeah, I was all pissed off. You know, my mom said, "Just walk into the office, go in there, tell a guy you want to play." Well, that's what I did. <laughs> <laughs> Just go to it. You know, being a New Yorker, you know, there's a word called chutzpah, you know. Right, yeah, right. Chutzpah, and I just walked in and I said, I want to audition for the senior band. <laughs> hey, that kid's got chutzpah. That kid does have chutzpah. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. Cojones and chutzpah. The gentleman uh, who I walked in on was the, the musical director for uh, the junior high school I was in, which was... Uh, Junior High School 99, Margaret Knox, and his name was Robert Just. And he, i tell you what, if it wasn't for him and his faith in me and in my talent, uh, I'd still, I, God knows, I, I don't know where I'd be. Yeah, yeah. interesting. Well, you, you were actually interested. I mean, sure, yes, you grew up in a lot of the, the Latin music and salsa, your, your parents, and but you also had a lot of interest in a lot of uh, other styles of music was this different styles of music that your that your uh, your parents were also uh, collecting in the record collection? I oh, mean, is that sure. how you got Let exposed? Me tell you, man. Yeah. The funniest story is, you know, my parents would always when I grew up, there was like department stores. There was S Klein and right. a few other large department stores that are yeah. not around anymore. Anyway, they used to go shopping, and they always stop at the vinyl at the record uh, the record department. Mm-hmm. And one day. Uh, I, I didn't go shopping with them, so they came back home and they said, hey, Lenny, we, we got something for you. And I'm like, okay, cool, let me check it out. And, uh, you know, they passed by and they heard it and they liked what it sounded like, so they bought it. It wound up to be the very first James Gang album. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's awesome. And I was looking at this album going, wait a minute, I got Latino parents over here, and they're bringing <laughs> some stuff from the West Coast. Right. <laughs> you know, Joe Walsh and those guys and the, and the Funk 48 and all that and 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 I listened to it, and I was like, "Holy shit, this is some great stuff!" Right. <laughs> I mean, Holy you God. know, it was stuff like that that they tur- that they turned me onto. Yeah, that's know? cool. And, um, that's cool. You know that, and many other things. My mom was also into really the early early country western style. You know, yeah. uh, she was into the, not only you know our Latin roots and stuff like that, but she was into a lot of country western. It was really amazing, an amazing household that I had as far as. As far as music went, you know. Yeah, oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I guess you realized, you know, you could – eventually you realized, like when you were a teenager, that you could, you know, play and make money. And uh, tell us about some of those early gigs in New York City because you were yeah, making right. some money playing. And, and tell us what kind of gigs you were playing. Well, you know, the, the – the, let's see. Well, I went through the, the, the regular rigmarole of, of, of uh, painful jobs, you know, like working for a pharmacy and – I uh, worked for an ice cream parlor at one time for a very short time, which was painful. Um, and, I, and I did a paper out as well. But the first, the first gig that I actually really started making money on musically was in the Latin circuit. Uh-huh. I started working. I don't know. I, I don't remember how I got the call, but I was about fourteen, fifteen in New York, and I got a, I got, I got a chance to audition for Johnny Colon, who yeah. was a trombone player turned keyboard player. Who eventually opened up uh, uh, a music school in in a barrio for for for, for Latin music, mm-hmm. and he was a good cat. I mean, he was a real community guy. I mean, you know, it, it was some interesting gigs that I got that I had to I had to do a lot of uh, after hour gigs. You know, mm-hmm. which started at two o'clock in the morning, and you got home at nine in the morning. You know, four sets of 
fast, hard, loud Latin music. Sometimes I'd come home with bloody hands, you know, and my exactly. mother would, I'd open the door, and my mother would like, oh, my God, somebody killed me. I said, Mom, I'm just making money here, man. Yeah, so when you say Latin music, salsa? Um, it was salsa, yeah. yeah it was basically salsa. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, congueros and that type of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's So I did a lot of, I did a lot of gigs with him, you know, and uh, eventually, you know, I, I branched out to, to other things, you know. Yeah. But that's when I started making money, and I also started teaching, because, oh, yeah. like I said, after a while, he got in with the Board of Education, and um, he worked out a way to get funding to open up a music school before he opened up the one on 104th Street. Wow, Johnny Colon, he, wow, interesting. Yeah, Johnny Colon did this, yeah. And like I said, he was a very kind of community-minded guy. Mm-hmm. You know, so he opened up a school, he connected it to another school, and I wound up teaching conga to guys that were a couple of years older, you know, younger <laughs> than me. That's cool. You know? and, and through that, I started making some good money through the state, because right. we were getting paid, you know, yeah. um, like, uh, like um, it was like an, uh, well, it was, it was an interesting situation. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, but, <laughs> now, whatever but, deal he worked out with the Board of Ed, you know, right. he made some nice... Made some nice cake teaching guys yeah, how to play yeah. conga, you know, stuff yeah. like that. And I was, he pulled in guys like Nicky Marrero yeah. and uh, uh, who was a, um, Mario Rivera, all these cats that were, you know, uh, the, 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 the Lopez brothers. Uh, mm-hmm. He pulled in a lot of the, the, the Latino guys into the school. So he was, you know, he, he had people, really good people to teach. That's neat. That, that's you know? cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was an interesting situation, you know. So, but anyway, and I started making money doing his gigs, doing, doing, uh, we would do the Jazzmobile during the summertime, mm-hmm. which was a program for the community that brought music to a barrio and a lot of the communities in my neighborhood and in in, uh, where I grew up. Yeah. You know, uh, there were a lot of music programs in those days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the beauty of it. Aside from all the clubs and all the great music that was going on, that was that I was uh, privy to, and you know that was part of my thing. My dad would, at an early age, took me to see Mongo Santa Maria when I was like six or seven years old. Wow, that's cool. To the club, and it was things like that. You know, that were so great. And then later on, things just they started cleaning things up. You know. Yeah. So, so was um, during this whole time was uh, was Johnny was was he instrumental at all in in you acquiring your scholarship because you actually got a, a scholarship to attend uh, Man College and uh, yeah no that was that was Mr Just the teacher in uh-huh. my junior high school yeah. was gotcha yeah. okay he was the one responsible for that like I said he he bent over backwards I mean he uh, he helped me buy a drum set through the through the educational system mm-hmm. so I could get a 50% discount, yeah. you know, so that I could afford to buy a drum set, a, a, a slingerland drum set wow. that I wanted, you know, a really yeah. professional one, even though I had one. Uh, but, it, you know, to me, I wanted something a little bit better. But, uh, yeah, he, he helped me a lot, that guy. Let me tell you, he, he's cool. still around. He's, I think he's living in Florida. Every now and then I send him a letter, and he, he says, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm watching you, I'm watching you. But... He, you know, he got me the scholarship, the drum set. I mean, he really, really pushed me 
towards being a musician. It gave me a lot of a lot of great advice. Yeah, that's interesting. A little, a couple minutes ago, uh, Linda, you talked about uh, you brought um, the name Melissa Manchester, and right around this oh, time, yeah. you know, you made the move to to L.A. Um, uh-huh. But uh, you know, you toured with Melissa for a couple of years. Obviously, you had your chops, uh, but she informed you that she was going to move in L.A. You know, you were nineteen, and yeah. New York was your home, and uh, but you decided to move anyway. You know, tell us about this decision to to go over there. Bro, there was not even a thought process. It was just like, <laughs> yeah, you're going. See you. You know? <laughs> I'm going to. Eat. <laughs> I went over to the. I went over. I'm strolling around New York. I go to the bass player's apartment. Yep. And I show up, and he's packing his stuff. And I go, I said, Cooker, where you going? He says, Oh man, Melissa's looking for you. You got to go talk to her. We're all moving to LA. And I was like, my I, my brain just froze. That like, was my first big gig, and it's moving to LA. Wow. <laughs> So, you know, I mean, what I did before I even went home, I, I ran to Melissa. I ran across, uh, across the island from the east side to the west side through Central Jeez. Park. I ran to a, a Melissa's apartment and got to her place and said, what's going on? She told me, she gave me the lay down. She says, well, I'm moving. I'm taking the whole band. If you want to go, I'll put you up for two months so you can get on your feet. Yeah. And then that's it. And we're, that's it. We're, we're all moving. Wow. wow. Like, oh, man, you know, I got on that D train so fast <laughs> my parents' house. Yeah. And I didn't basically ask them. I told them, well, I'm leaving. See you later. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, puppy. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, well, you know, um, it, it was something that I knew I had to do. Yeah. I mean, it was something that, I mean, I couldn't just stay in New York and let my first big gig just run away on me like that. Yeah, I was, exactly. Somebody told me. You're going. You got to go. And then I, I also spoke to my real dad. I, I got some advice from him, uh, along with my my stepfather and my mom. My dad was like, "Bro, if you don't take this, you're gonna you're gonna hate yourself for the rest of your <laughs> life. So don't worry about mom. Don't worry about dad. And this, that. Just go. Just yeah. go. Okay. There was no real thought process. Yeah, <laughs> it was yeah. just click. Just get on the plane quickly. Just get out of here. You know? Yeah. yeah. And I was lucky, you know, because like I said, uh, like I tell a lot of younger musicians, you know, they come into L.A., you know, I've, I've always had the question, you know, what do I do? I'm here. How do I get connected? You know, it's like I was lucky because I came here with Melissa and she was hooked up to a lot of people that were in, in, the, in the middle of, of, the, of, of the business. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like Richard Perry. Right. Our, our, her producer was Vinnie Poncia, who was connected to Richard Perry, who was connected to a lot of other big acts, you know, and one thing led to another, and my exposure to all of them, and playing in L.A., you know, I, I, my yeah. name got around. So I was very lucky yeah. to have yeah. uh, to go to L.A. with somebody, with, with a gig. Yeah. So not just, no, you know, here no, I right. am, like a lot of people do. They just go to L.A. or they go to New York and yeah. they, well, I'm here. Give me work, you know. It's yeah. Like, well, you kind of you kind of answered that my work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You kind of answered my next question for me, and and yeah. I was gonna I was gonna mention these chain of events because when you move there, you know, mm-hmm. you know, with with Melissa Manchester, you know that you got introduced to producer Richard Perry, and he, you know, uh, you know. He has you do some session work with Diana Ross, and that's where you meet Jeff Percaro. And then Jeff got you a gig with Boss Gags, exactly. and you and you toured extensively with him, which ultimately led you back to Toto. And I've exactly. you know I've explained all these incredible events in a nutshell, but but in, and I think you just answered this, but you know I was going to ask you to give us a deeper insight about moving to LA and trying to make your way into the scene, and and was it as easy as I just described? But it sounds like it was. 
Well, you know, everything kind of had a natural progression. To yeah. Um, you know, the, the fact that, uh, you know, Melissa took, you know, brought me to L.A. and then I started playing with her at places like the Troubadour and uh, some other mm-hmm. places that we, we, we played, we would play in town. Right. Uh, people got to see me, you know, see me play and, you know, they would, all right, well, I'm gonna, we're going to take a chance on this young kid, you know, play percussion and stuff like that. Yeah. And percussion was being used quite a bit. There were guys like King Harrison. Uh, well, there was uh, Ralph McDonald on the East Coast. Sure. Um, there was a few other cats. Uh, I can't remember off offhand. But I don't know. I just came in and I just started, you know, they, people liked what I did with Melissa. So uh, they in turn, you know, decided, well, we're going to use this young kid. You know, and at that time, that kind of thing was, was going on. There were, you know, guys like Luke were coming in. It was, it, it was allowed to come in on, on the circuit. Mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm, what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There, now, there is no circuit. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, there, were, there was uh, an apprenticeship. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. It was a thing where guys would, just like in the old days, there was artist development in a lot of departments yeah. the, when there were record companies. Yeah. Now it doesn't exist. You either you either are a bad motherfucker or you're not. <laughs> if you don't right. come out of the shoot, you know, blazing, right. nobody's going to pay attention to you. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, and nobody's right. going to wait around to go. Well, I'll tell you why. Go practice. And come back in two years. Right. Nah, they don't do that anymore. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know. So I was, and when I when I you know when I went out to L.A., I was my guns were loaded and ready to go. I was mm-hmm. ready to play with everybody and anybody. Yeah. And I didn't care even the names. I mean, to tell you the truth, I I barely knew who Richard Perry was. I knew he was a famous producer, <laughs> right, yeah. but it was like, yeah, so what? He's got a gig for me. I want to play. Right, yeah, exactly. Sure, sure. That's the way you got to look at it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and you know, blissful ignorance, I guess. <laughs> well, hey, going back to that Diana Ross gig, you know, I love I love the story that I read about how you or about how Steve Lukather picked you up one time for that gig in a, in a beat-up VW Beetle with no passenger seat, and you were sitting on metal. <laughs> he had torn it out to get his amplifiers. <laughs> and, oh, you know, so that was uh, a modification that he pulled out. <laughs> well, you know, you, you did the session with uh, Diana, and, and Jeff Percaro asked you and Luke if you wanted to audition for another gig, and that was with Boz Skaggs. So tell us about the audition and how you already had the gig before you walked in the door. Oh, well, you know, we, we showed up. <laughs> We showed up and we set up and we played a bunch of songs and stuff like that. And Boz just turned around and said, "Thanks, see you guys later." And so we and Luke looked at each other and like, "Let me see you later." You know, and then we look. Of course, we looked at Jeff because he was he was the culprit behind you know having us there. You know, little did we know how much clout Jeff had. Hmm. You know, when he said, and he did have a lot of clout. Let me tell you, that son of a gun, if. If he dug you and his name and your name was on his lips all the time, you were working. Yeah. You know, he made sure that, he, you know, I mean, because he, when we hooked up on that gig, it was uh, it was like we knew each other forever. And from that point yeah. on, he called me for just almost every gig that he, that he was doing, he wanted me on it. Wow. You know, so. But, you know, we turned to Jeff and we said, Jeff, you know, what happened? Jeff, you know, Boz didn't say anything. He says, and he just turned to us and said, you had this gig before you even got here, guys. <laughs> uh, I mean, we just looked at each other and was like, well, thanks a lot, you know. Uh, uh, just shows you. But, you know, I mean, it was in its own way. It was good that we didn't know that it wasn't an audition because we came out, you know, we came and we we, we were hungry. We were the hungry, we were the hungry bunch. Mm-hmm. 
know, and we did so. You know, we didn't go there just to say, you know, this is how I play. Yeah. You know. Well, th- uh, thinking about we, we wanted, we were going for the gig. Yeah. Well, just thinking about that, it just you know, Jeff was. You guys were also young at the time, and it it just goes to show you how well respected Jeff was at such an early age. You know that. Oh, well, like I said earlier, the man yeah. had such clout. I mean, when he told, when he said, "Okay, that guy," yeah. is, everybody just looked and said, "Oh, really?" And they took the note. <laughs> yeah. They wrote that anything. Oh, really? Oh, we got to write this shit down because it's Bible. <laughs> <laughs> it's Bible. You know. I remember one time he took he he, he took me to a. Dave Benoit, keyboard player. Yeah. Um, I went to this. He he just wanted me to go and hang out. I think his dad was on the session. Uh, I want to say uh, uh, Oceanway Studios, possibly. Anyway, mm-hmm. I just went down to go hang with him. He said, "Come, come hang. I'm going to do this session. I have fun." You know that that when he said "come hang," it really didn't mean "come hang." It meant "come play." Yeah. And that's what I wound up doing. I wound up playing on this. When, when I think it was his first hit that that Dave had, I played bongos on it. Wow! And uh, yeah, just from coming out and hanging out, you know, I wound up <laughs> on the guy's hit single. So no doubt. Well, speaking of uh, you know, like like you said, it was an example of you know Jeff's clout and how well, how uh, incredibly well respected he was, and still is till this day. Absolutely, isn't that something? You yeah, know, it's a it's an amazing legacy. The Picaro legacy is is major. It is. You know, speaking really of amazing. Luke... It's he, such a pleasure to be connected to them, you know, and uh, it's been a, a blessing and it's been a tragedy at the same time. Right. Well, you and Luke, you, you guys are really almost like, like brothers. I mean, you're really close. In fact... Yeah, I, I was you're... lucky to get in with these guys, man. I came out here from New York and I, and I felt like I went to Grand High School and all these other high schools that yeah. they went to. I felt, you know, I... I felt like I feel like I went to school with these guys. Yeah. You know, when in reality I went to high school in New York. You know, me and Steve Jordan went to high school together. Jeez, it's amazing. I mean, you're you're Luke's. I mean, you're the godfather of of Luke's kids, right? Tina and Trev. Yeah, both his kids. Yeah, Jeez. yeah. Trev and Tina. Yeah, wow. they're beautiful, big and beautiful. Yeah. I'm proud of them both. I'm very <laughs> proud of them. Well, staying on the on the Toto topic here for a second, you know, you're practically a, an official, unofficial member of the band. I mean, you, you were there from the beginning. Always and- been, man, that has been like the albatross. Beer <laughs> is like, Glenn, are you? I mean, are you a member or are you not a member? What <laughs> are you? How <laughs> are you? Well, I don't know. You know, it's you know, I came along, and it's funny that because. In the day, I would, in the early days, I went around total three, total four, I would go out, when the guys weren't working, I would go out and uh, work with other people. Yeah. Ricky Lee Jones, Stevie Wonder, I had a great time. I remember one time, I went out, I started working with Stevie Wonder, me, Ricky Lawson, were on their gig. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I came back from one of the tours, you know, I had a wonderful time, I came back, you know, raving, I came to, I went to Jeff's house, yeah, man, I had a great time, and... Stevie Wonder, we played here, blah, blah, blah. Jeff was like, yeah, big deal. I'm like, whoa, what happened? <laughs> well, you get a chance to do all this gallivanting around, going from one group to another, blah, blah. We're chained to the record company, to the agents, to William Morris. We can't make a move unless we ask 50 different people if we can go take a ship, you know. And in reality, he was kind of telling me, you know, be, be lucky, you know, that you're not tied down to this. Because you wouldn't be doing what you're doing. 
Yeah. Wow, right, that's right. amazing. Yep. So that kind of stopped me in my tracks, and it, it kind of, uh, whoa, I better shut up for a minute. <laughs> I really kind of be a little bit more mature about this. But, you know, he was he was a brother, and he, he tapped me, and he says, man, be happy with what you got. Because I did have a problem with that. Are you a member? Are you a not a member? And really? I, mm-hmm. I just gave up on all that nonsense. It just right. didn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it really doesn't. It no. really doesn't, you know, because, I mean, I've been there with the guys when they've, they've called me for just about every album, even though I haven't been with them in a while. Um, yeah. I have still been with them and always will be a part, you know, a part of their situation. Yeah. Yeah, and even recently, you know, you not only played on some of the tracks on, you know, Toto 14, their latest album, but you've, you know, you've, you've been on tour with them as well. And, 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 you know, Jeff Picaro, of course, isn't there, but Shannon Forrest has the seat behind the kit. And I, you oh, know, he's doing an excellent job, too, if I might add. He's, I tell you what, he's, uh, that's not an easy chair to fill. And you guys know that. I mean, you guys know very well. Yeah, absolutely. That that's like that. Those are some big pair of shoes to have to fill. Well, last year I had a, we had a chance to catch up with David Hungate, and um, I, I asked Dave. I said, you know, just being a you know, he hasn't been back. The last time he toured with Toto, of course, Jeff was the drummer, and and uh, and I said, tell me what it's like, you know, being up there on st- you know on stage doing these shows with Shannon behind the kit. And he goes, man, it, he goes, it feels like Jeffrey's up there. He goes, he's got such a similar yeah. groove, and he's he's such he's so in the pocket and. And he he was right. When I heard them play last, you know, the first time I heard them play with Shannon, I was, I, I love Simon. I love everything he he brought to Toto. But uh, Shannon has such a a Picaro kind of groove to what he does. It's so funny though because he's not, you know, the the thing the thing is to not try to play like Jeff, and so many cats do. You know, every time I hear that introduction to. Uh, uh, Rosanna. Um, what is that? The the boss cast. It's not going to You know that. Lowdown. That was a signature. Yeah. It's a hard thing to reproduce. Yeah. That's like trying to almost trying to reproduce a, a yeah. fingerprint. Yeah. You know, it's just that quirky and that individual. But you know, guys like Shannon. You know, Shannon is made. It's uh, it's really hard to explain. You yeah. Know, he he has done it without. He's he is given the groove like Jeff without having to sound like Jeff, like yeah, having to yeah. imi- mimic him. Right, right. You know, it's not an easy thing to do, but he he's done it so well. And now that I'm that I'm with him, it kind of completes the puzzle for him. Yeah, yeah. But before I yeah. started back with the guys, it was it was a bit difficult mm-hmm. because there were other things and other parts that were mixed with the drum set that weren't there, and mm-hmm. that's a tough thing to you know to come in on. Lenny, Lenny, have you ever had a chance? I mean, at the beginning when you jumped on with with Shannon, did you ever have the opportunity to to sit? Do you chat about the grooves or the little nuances of no, how you do that, just or is just kind of played? We just say, "Hey, how you doing?" Yep, it's a pleasure to meet you. Let's do this. Gotcha. And we just started playing. That's mm-hmm. cool. He knew the charts, you know. I I was trying, to, I was dusting off the charts in my head, you know, <laughs> trying to remember what I did and reinvent some stuff and. Um, no, there was never, never any of any of any moment that we we sat down and said, "Well, why are you going to do this? What are you going to do?" Blah blah blah. Yeah. There were one or two little details that much later on in rehearsal when we were fine tuning stuff that we worked out, right? Some stuff, but it was you know, like I said, it was fine tuning. 
Yeah, cool. A lot of fine tuning. No, we, we, we just sat and we played. That's cool. That's cool. Hey, your, your discography is totally off the hook. And anybody who goes to your site will see that endless scrolling. Oh, it's, uh, it's, it's amazing, you know, what, what you've been able to accomplish in your life. You know, it's like a who's who in music. But aside, a, aside from Toto and the other regular gigs, I mean, with Joe Bonamassa and Fleetwood Mac, Boney James, and we go on and on and on. Is there, uh, is there a musician or a project that you've worked on that, uh, that you consider really Really special in terms of you know, let's just say how you how it impacted you as a musician over the years. Oh, that uh, that would have to be Joe Sample. Really? Okay, all right, we've had him on the show too before. Yeah, yeah. But, oh man, that would have to be Pee Wee because yeah, that guy he he didn't well not force me, but he brought to my attention how far I could go. Hmm. I mean. First of all, we were we were drinking buddies when we first met. We used to go, we used to go, uh, we used to hang out at the Big Potato, you know, after yeah. sessions, maybe about eleven o'clock or so, and show up and sit there and complain about all the idiots that you know the the crazy uh, producers and the crazy <laughs> uh, sessions that we've done. And you know what this guy had me play? Unbelievable, man! You know, and so we were drinking buddies, and then one day, you know. Joe just turned to me and says, "I hey, mean, you play percussion, don't you?" I said, "Yeah, man, I've been hanging with you for so long. I don't even know." He says, "Yeah, well, you come down and play, man. Come down and help me out with Crusaders. I'm having a tough time." And, and I think who was in the band at that? I think Undugu was playing drums at that time. Mm, okay, it was interesting confrontation, I yeah. might say. You know, there was a, there was some there was some weird stuff going on in in the midst of the band, and then. Joe brought me in, and it was kind of – I was put in another weird situation. <laughs> I, always, I always get myself in these very uncomfortable, weird uh, situations. Mm. <laughs> it eventually worked, it, worked itself out. Yeah. Well, we had Joe on the show. Yeah. It might have been maybe just about a year before a year he before. passed away, yeah. maybe a year, year oh, and a half really? before he passed I gotta away. i got to go back and listen to that. Yeah, and, and I remember – I don't know if you recall this, Eddie, but I remember when we were just about finished with the interview. Yeah. Uh, we were about to wrap it up, right. and I remember him saying something, and, and I don't know if this is if this is word for word, but he, I almost got the feeling like he didn't want to go, like he, he did not want to go. He goes, you know, you're done, and we'd already been talking for like an hour and twenty minutes or he something said, like that. Is that it? Are you are you guys done? And it is just, you know, and when he passed away, I thought about that, and I thought yeah. that, that guy just, it just made me realize how much he loved what he was doing, how much he loved to even talk about it, you know, and and, and uh, oh yeah, and it oh, just boy, that made did. me he more sad than anything. Great story. And it's funny, yeah. we, we really got into the nitty-gritty of stuff. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and, oh, yeah, he, there, was, yeah, yeah, there was no, there was no two-step in or any bullshit with, when it came to Pee Wee. Yeah. He, was, he was a true and honest man and loved yes. what he did to every ounce, you know, of his being. He just loved it, loved playing. Yeah. 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 You know, and I, he was the one, I mean, he, he, threw in, he threw in my life one of the most incredible opportunities. And one day... Hanging at the potato as usual, he's he turns to me and he says, "Man, I want to do a trio." Hmm. I said, "Well, yeah, well, okay, well, what, what do you, yeah. He says, "I'm, you know, I'm, I'm tired of all these other guys playing the chords the way they want to play this. I want to be just, I want to simplify everything so I can put the chords and put the shit the way I want it and be real creative." And then he looks at me and he says, "You got to come up with some shit, man." <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? Man, 
You got it's gonna be a trio. Me, you, and a bass player. You got to come up with a setup that's gonna kick some everybody's ass. I'm like, oh my god, you you're serious. <laughs> so I mean, I had to go and I invented this hybrid setup that was basically a 360 of half percussion, half drums. Wow. Which I just came up with, which just became so much fun to play. But here's this guy, Joe Sample, giving me an opportunity to learn on the job, hmm. to invent something and learn, and to just throw it in my lap, say, yeah, come up with something. Wow. And it was like, really? Seriously, you're going to do this? <laughs> and I did. And, and it, you know, the thing was, I learned on the job. I, I was learning how to... I created this monster, and I had to learn how to play it. You know, mm, and it yeah. was it was so much fun though because every night I would learn something new. Or we would reach these new plateaus musically, and right after we finished the last note of each gig, mm -hmm. we were looking forward to the next gig. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that for we did that for about seven years, eight mm. years straight. We did, did it. You, you know, really? went to Japan religiously every year, two or three times a year. Uh, and it, it became a big thing for us, you know, and, you know, he touched me in so many, many different ways, mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. know, yeah. inspired me, pushed me, um, mm -hmm. so he was my, he was my friend. We were, you know, we watched our families grow up together. Yeah. We used to spend Christmases up at his place in Mammoth, which was a beautiful house that he used to have. Yeah. Oh, that guy really, I mean, that he allowed me to play drums with him. There's actually one album that I did where it's half Gad and half me. Oh, really? Which was very unnerving when I found <laughs> that out. <laughs> like, guys, can't you at least, you know, throw me a shot across the bow so I can talk to my analyst first, and, you know, and get my noodles straight. <laughs> Before you put me, throw me under the, tr under the truck like that, man. And I was really nervous about that whole, I mean, how, how I was going to sound... It contrasted Steve Gadd. <laughs> uh, I think a lot of drummers can relate to that out there. Yeah, yeah. But it, it you know, I did, I did a really good job. I'm, pr mm -hmm. I'm proud of what I did. Oh, absolutely. And it all really worked out. But again, you know, Joe was the deepest, most incredible friend that there could ever be. And, you know, mm -hmm. yeah. And a guy who just he took me everywhere, physically and musically <laughs> and emotionally. Yep. We yeah. just ran, you know, and mm. I'm so proud to to, to call him friend. Yeah. Well, that's that's cool. That was a yeah. That I'm glad we asked you that because that was cool to learn. Yeah, that's you know how yeah. about Joe's amazing, influence in your life. Amazing guy, amazing guy. Well, you know, you've obviously spent so much of your career, you know, as a studio musician playing with you know all these incredible names in the music business. But today's session scene is kind of a stark contrast to those glory days. And you know how how have you been impacted by these changes, you personally? And and is session work still an integral part of your business, or is is touring kind of displaced that? Well, touring has kind of stepped up a little bit more, but I am still doing some sessions here and there, and hmm. of course, not as many as they used to be. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm getting ready to, uh, the end of this month, I'm going to fly to Austin, Texas, hmm. to work with Jennifer Warren. Really? Oh, cool. Yeah, that's my girl, Jennifer. I haven't seen her in such a long time. I'm really looking forward to hearing her and seeing her new material, but, you know, that's the way things are. Either, you know, either people are doing... Uh, overdub sessions, or they're sending me files, or I'm going to places, you know, to do overdubs. You know, there, it, there's still a, a, I can't call it a circuit anymore, 
because it's really changed so much. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There are some recording sessions that go on mm-hmm. still. Yeah, not as many. Like I said, right? Not even not even fifty percent as much as what <laughs> wow. it used to be. Yeah, but things, other things have replaced it. Like I said, you know, like I said, recording here at home. Uh, uh, the advent of you know the internet and uh, sure. and, uh, and the digital age has made it so that you don't really have to be there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It has impacted me a little bit, but I, by the grace of God, man, knock on wood, yeah, I keep myself busy. Yeah, get ready. You know, I do some TV stuff too. I'm getting ready to do something for the Grammys. It's some uh, Legends of Music was supposed to be taping. Very cool. So I, I keep myself, I keep myself going by the grace of God. Man. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Like I said, it's not as many sessions as it used to be, but there still are things that do happen. Yep, yep. exactly. You know, it's just changed, you know. All right. You know, the two gigs that you do have, I want to talk about, you know, with Joe Bonamassa and, and also Toto. And mm. it's not about the music. It's more about the rig that you use. Tell us a little bit about how you might compare both of them. How would you set up a rig uh, for Toto as opposed to something for, for Joe and, uh, you know, with well, percussion? The, the, the difference right there is in, you know, the fact that Joe is a blues blues artist. Right. Basically. Yep. And you know what? There is not, in, in, my, in, my, in my days and in my learning, there's some percussion in some blues albums, but there's not a lot. So there's the rig not. does not really require mm-hmm. to be that big. What you got to have is big chops and big grooves. Oh, gotcha. You know, you got to have minimum gear, like for Joe... And his electric band, I used three congas instead of four congas. Mm-hmm. And I used one little table that put that I put a shaker, a kibasa, and a tambourine, and a cowbell. That was it. Wow, that's wow. it. And that's all I needed. Because like I said, for music like that, you got to have a big groove, not a big setup. Yep, right, right. you got to have some fat back. you got to have... You know, you, you can't be coming around no bullshit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is not the Rippington from Sarah. Yeah. Now compare that to the setup with, uh, with Toto now. Totally so different. With Toto, totally different. Toto was a lot more involved because of, 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 of what I did on the recordings. There's a lot of timbales stuff, a lot of rock conga stuff, heavyweight rock conga stuff, conga patterns that were kind of melded in with the drums. For example, Africa requires a lot. There's a lot of things that are going on. Uh, each song, and there are some songs that I just, you know, with Toto just played straight tambourine, rock and roll tambourine, yeah. you know. Yeah. But their music is is more involved, mm-hmm. you know. Sometimes they get yeah. into that epic rock and roll thing right. with gongs, and you know, I, it becomes more. Oh, how can I say? There's just more room for me to play with stuff. Yeah. When it comes to that. So when you when you go out with Toto and it's more involved, are you you know obviously they they tour overseas a lot as well. So you know obviously traveling with all that stuff. I mean, are you sort of you have to be kind of com- uh, efficient and sort of compact with the way you, with what you take, or can, do they give you sort of free range to take anything you want as long as it fits? Pretty much the give me free range to take what I need. Yeah. I, I never take anything that I don't need. Okay, you know, yeah, I, everything that I have up there is being used. I have one SPD as uh, the, the new one that, uh, that I'm using, that's the only electronics that I have okay. up there, and I'm using it for one, two, I'm using it for two, maybe three songs. Okay. Possibly. All right. And I'm using a 22, is it a 22 or 24-inch gong, a gong drum, but all these elements, they're, 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 I use them for each song, not all, of, you know, 
each uh, for what it, what each song needs, what each song requires. Yeah, exactly. Hey, Lenny, you know, you're as a percussionist. You know, you've you've probably messed with the drumming aspect of it at all. Have you ever recorded any sessions or or played in India? <laughs> Have you? Uh, I've done one or two, a Have few you? things here and there. Um, I can't remember any of it. <laughs> well, I was just there curious, was you know. Van 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 Hunt. Van Hunt. I think it's a young kid, a, a young black kid. Okay. Van Hunt. I played drums on one thing for him. Was that his name? I think it was Van Hunt. Okay. Young young kid. Interesting. One or two, not not very not very many. Yeah. Not a lot. Of, not a lot of stuff. Yeah. How about uh, another question? Going back to almost like your your heritage, where you where you come from. Do you rarely, or do you sometimes ever get a chance to 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 jump in into a, a Latin style music, salsa, or ever cross oh, paths? Sure. Do you? Oh sure, 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 sure. I'm getting ready to. Uh, um, I don't know. If, you've been out to L.A. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. There's a, yeah. There's a, a lady out here from Peru. Her name is Cecilia Noel. Oh her. yeah, sure. We've heard of her. Uh, I just chatted I with her the other camp, day. I like to, I like to go and uh, 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 and uh, get all hot and sweaty with her. Yeah, she, is she uh, like uh, is she involved in a relationship with Colin Hay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. they're married. Yeah, I just I just talked <laughs> to Cecilia the other day about oh, yeah. uh, about Colin about maybe the idea of getting him on the show. So that's kind of ironic that you brought her up. Yeah. They're both beautiful. She's wonderful, and he's a, he's a real man. She's he's such a lovely guy. Wow, that's cool. Very that's lovely cool. cat. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, getting back to, you know, I, I'm getting ready to do a gig in about a week or so mm-hmm. with her thing. Occasionally, and and, uh, and I, let's see, what else? I'm doing something with Walfredo de los Reyes mm-hmm. Jr. Oh, yeah. yeah. Me wow. and Wally Kid, I'm going to play some percussion with his live band, Wally World. Wow. You know, keep my chops going. <laughs> exactly. So, then, you know, I, I do, I Good. have to. Yeah, I have to get back into the Latin thing. It's it's yeah. part it's part of what I do. You know, one of the few guys, the Congueros, that stops by actually very frequently here on the circuit. On when he's passing by, is is Poncho Sanchez comes yeah. to the jazz kitchen oh, all yeah, the Poncho time. Still going strong, man. He's amazing, man. God he bless is. him. And I just love. Him. He's a great vocalist, and he just I mean, he makes it his own. You know. Yeah, yeah, man. He's done great, man. His career has been so cool. I I take my hat off to him. Yeah. He has done such beautiful work, and 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 he's still a very humble cat. You know, uh, I, I got a lot of admiration for him. Totally, yeah. totally, totally. Hey, on your discography, there are several people that you actually uh, performed. <laughs> actually, I, and I don't know how to what to make of this, but maybe you can answer that you've actually performed vocals on because I know on Uh-oh. a few of a, a few. Uh, <laughs> I know, right? Okay, and a few albums with uh, Melissa Manchester, you did vocals, uh, even with yes. Neil Larson and Rita Coolidge. What yes. uh, defined vocals here for us? Could you? <laughs> 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 you sound like you have doubt, Eddie. Well, yeah. Let me tell you. Well, you know, you, you get some. I, mean, vo- I, I did some background vocals in those days. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, I, I was married. I, in fact, my first wife, God bless her, she uh, she used to work at Rita College, so she was a background vocalist. Really? I met her. I met her on the Boss Gags gig, as a matter yeah. of fact. Uh-huh. I met uh, her. Name was Paulette Brown. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, so I, I there was a lot of background vocals. I did because I did a lot of background stuff with Melissa. Right. Uh, that it kind of got around that I was doing some stuff here and there. So I would get called to do one or two things here and there. Very cool. You know, it was fun. You know, I, I actually, <laughs> what was this? Oh my God! Here's a, an old story from when I was <laughs> in high school. Emerson Lake and Palmer came to do a. It was the Brain Salad Surgery album. Mm-hmm. And they came to my school, music and art, high school, to hire a choir. 
to sing uh, Silent Night during their during their show, and I yeah. I signed up for the choir, man, and I sang. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. That's awesome. It was great. I mean, I I still have the signed album, the Brain Salad Surgery album. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Man, you kidding me? I used to I still do. Yeah, I still occasionally do some vocals <laughs> here and there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very cool. Yeah, but doing that was I was a lot of fun for me, you know, in the day. That's awesome. You know, it's it, it's clear to see that you know it's that almost every genre of music uses uh, utilizes percussion in some way, some somehow. Is yeah. there is there a particular genre that you haven't played that you still are interested in experimenting with? <laughs> wow, that's deep. You know, uh, I mean, seriously, that's a tough question because you know you have classical, you have country, you have so many things. You know, and well, you know, it's it's. Um Bulgarian folk music. <laughs> there's still so much involved. I mean, there's still so much different kind of music. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's tons of uh, um, beautiful uh, classic style Japanese music, no, and enka. Sure. Which, believe it or not, is pretty interesting. It's like the country western music of Japan. It never changes. Wow. Yeah. You know, and it's yeah. always about some depressing stuff. Too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's cool. I really get into it. I get into that and the taiko drumming. Uh, I've done a little bit of that, but uh, are, uh, I've never done it. I've never been in a polka band, so that's that's one I got to work on. Oh, ask ask Luke. <laughs> ask Luke sometime about the the tour he did in Pennsylvania. We actually took a road trip over there, and and uh, it so, was a, a yeah, Toto, yeah. Toto was playing at a, at a <laughs> ski resort up in the mountains. It was a horrible venue for a show, oh, and it was and a summer. The stage was at the bottom of a hill of a ski of a ski slope and oh, yeah. but what was going on at the same time at the at this particular <laughs> resort was some big polka festival and it was the cra- <laughs> it was the craziest thing <laughs> everywhere you had people they in gotta the- go sit in <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah they were so mad nobody <laughs> We thought the band. We thought the band was going to come out in lederhosen that day. Oh man! Oh my God! Yeah. Hey, so so through your eyes, how do you see music changing? I mean, you know, folk is back. You know, you know, kind of the raw sound of rock is is kind of hinging its way back in. You know, what's old is new again, and even music is back on vinyl. You know, that's getting popular. Yes. So what, yes, what, what do you see? And what, really what you, amazing. I've seen this cycle go around so many times and yeah. come back. You know, there are so many different cycles. Like, there was a time when, all right, everybody went away from using drums to using drum machines, and then all of a sudden using a drummer became cool. Yeah. (laughs) Um, uh, The same thing with string players. String players went through hell when the ARP synthesizers came out, and everybody went just, everybody from Broadway to you name it just went all crazy. And then they went back to using real strings. You know? I mean, I've seen... Many different things come and go. That's amazing. Yep. You know, like uh, the syndromes. The syndromes you heard forever. Right. It was so funny, man. Jeff or Carl hated those things because yeah. when those things came out, that's the, 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 whoever calls you for a session is bring the syndromes. That's all anybody wanted to hear. That's right. We hated those things. We hated them. We couldn't wait until they were. Well, of course, like anything else in this business, they oversaturate and it becomes, yeah. You know, and it becomes. Oh, I hate that. Okay, <laughs> and those and things. It did disappear into the into the distance. Yeah, and those things have forever time stamped those those songs too. You know. Oh you, yeah, you know, syndrome, <laughs> scenarios, and all those yeah. those uh, those sounds are. Yeah. <laughs> you know when it was produced and when when it was recorded. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, every now and then, I got to come up with a, one of those you know scenarios. Uh, uh, 
Uh, to their sound. No doubt. Hey, what was the last time you were in Vegas to visit our, our good friends Jerry Lopez and Santa Fe and the Fat City Horns? Uh, I know that you. there's a photo that you played with them one time, but uh, was that recently or a long time ago? It was, was it a video that, was, that I was on? No, I just saw a photograph. Uh, you were playing congas with uh, with either Jerry Lopez or something, I think. Yeah, in Vegas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they, 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 somebody made a video out of that too. I think really? on, on, on YouTube. No, I haven't been back up there to play with them. Yeah, recently, unfortunately, I have not. Yeah, okay. I'm sure. I'm sure they're still up there. Michito's probably up there too. Michito Sanchez. <laughs> he's been working up there a lot in Las Vegas. Yeah, I hope he's been working a lot up there. Yeah. Hey, we're about ready to wrap this up here, but I, I want to ask you a little bit of something about your your most precious instruments with your your hands. You know, w- without being funny, you know, your hands do take a beating, and and you explained yeah. earlier that even as a kid, sometimes you uh, or as a teenager, your hands used to, you know, used to to bring blood to them. So we've seen your hands taped during shows. And over all these years, how how often have you injured your hands or fingers, or does that not um, happen? I've I've never injured. Well, injuries, yeah. there are none. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. My two pinkies are dislocated. One was from playing basketball and getting a chest pass <laughs> from me. You know, the guy just decides to give me a chest pass right. you know, for basketball, and I'm like, all right, click. That's it. I'm that done. It. Yeah. Uh, and then I recently just. I got my other pinky caught in one of those glass uh, doors in the, the, those rich, ritzy hotels. Yeah, right. Ugh, so I try to be real careful with my hands. Yeah. Um, uh, I try not to let them dry out because, you know, climate has a lot to do with what goes on mm-hmm. where you are, you know, the dryness or the humidity that's around you. Uh, I, if I'm dry, I try to keep, you know, try to keep a, a, a good lubricant. On my hands, nothing, no petroleum uh, byproduct, something that's really kind of natural. Right, right. Uh-huh. And you know, because the hands will, their hands will, uh, will expand when you when you play, and you wind up with all these cuts um, from from the hands being all dried. And then, uh, and then, technique playing properly and consistently helps a lot too. Wow. Yeah. Um, but it's an ongoing thing, man. Sometimes my hands are incredible. Sometimes. They just, they just don't want to. <laughs> they just don't want to uh, cooperate. But yeah. nine out of ten times, I I keep my hands really good. Yeah, that's cool. You know, and I don't tape up when I don't need to, but because mm-hmm. um, I don't like feeling anything on my hands, it's I don't know. It's, yeah. it bugs the hell out of me. Right. So, um, so if I can, sometimes I'll just deal with the pain. If it's a callus that's digging in. To uh, to a bone, uh, into a knuckle bone, or something like that. You just have to shave down the callus and make sure that you take care of these things. The calluses yeah. can't get too big. If they get too big, they start taking over. Oh, interesting. They start they start doing weird things. Yeah. Well, you know, with with uh, with all the playing you've done and all the credits you have to your name, I figured you'd probably have probably somewhere down the line you've had you know endorsements for particular instruments. But Eddie and I are curious <laughs> to know if if you have an endorsement with Ray Ban sunglasses. Yeah, really. <laughs> because you should. Yeah, how many do you have? Come on, fess up here. I mean, Man, I, 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 you know that was so funny though because I started wearing those when I was with Dan Fogelberg. Oh yeah, really? Yeah. Started playing. Yeah, I. Russ Kunkel got me in on this gig with Dan Fogelberg, which was so much fun. Dan uh-huh. was such a beautiful guy. And great. His music was so... Uh, it was just a, a real joy to, 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 to work and know him. And and so one day, um, Ray-Ban threw a, a big box of, of glasses in the, in the dressing room and said, here, guys, take what you want. 
Wow. I was like, I had never worn shades before because I wear a very heavy uh, prescription glasses, so I never mm-hmm. got any shades. Never had wore, was able to just pick up some shades and just put them on, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. So I grabbed a pair and I took them home and I said, you know, I'm going to put a prescription in here. <laughs> <laughs> so I did it and I loved them. So <laughs> that, became, that became, that was that. Once I, once I hooked up with those and, and the Wayfarers were like, they were perfect. Right, right. <laughs> so it just became, um, I guess, my it's a trademark. And right? I, I've since bought uh, quite a few pair. My new, my latest pair I got from Japan. Really? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, that was you know just purely an accidental thing, but it just it became. I don't know. I yeah. just kept on wearing them, and everybody yeah. just became part of my look. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of Japan, you you were just there with, with Toto and finished that yeah. t- that tour. But uh, man, we were checking out your your. Your Facebook page, and there's like people like giving you these huge ten foot flower arrangements, and, you know, and I'm like, they love you. Oh, the guys, please! I was trying to hide that from the guys. <laughs> <laughs> it's, they love you over there, man. But uh, I, as, as we, some really great friends over there, man. I really do. Great, but, great friends. Yeah, but but you actually met your wife in Osaka, right? Yes. In fact, I was I was working with Joe Sample. Wow. Uh, playing at the Blue Note in Osaka when I met her. Oh, that's neat. That's neat. Does she travel with you when you go to Japan? Uh, something, well, she, when she's in Japan, of course, yeah, she's with me, you know. Yeah. <laughs> she's, she's my manager. <laughs> no, yeah, when, when I'm in Japan, of course, she comes down. But when I'm on the road doing, you know, Europe or, or States or anything, she stays home. Yeah. You know, she says, bring the money home. I don't want to be out there, as you know. <laughs> Oh, she to bring the money home, and you know we'll, we'll we'll take a vacation on our own. Yeah, that's cool. because when I'm out there, it's hard for me to. I'm I'm in you know I'm in my game I'm in my game face you know yeah. my game thing. I'm I'm on the road. I'm road dog. Yeah. <laughs> I got my schedule, and I got this. I got to have my beer o'clock, and uh, you know, and it's you, you get into a regimen of things, and I can't. It's hard. It would be hard for me to give her, you know, to give her the attention. That she, you know, she would want. Yeah. That I would want to give to her. Sure. But, you know, being on the road is is tough, man. You it, just it gotta is. be. You gotta be focused. Yeah. You gotta be focused. Yeah. You know, prior to the interview today, we were just talking, chatting a little bit about the extended tour dates that Toto is going to be embarking on, and and yeah. uh, and we know that uh, Rick, there's a couple dates in, in August. Well, there's there's not right as of right now. There's not an official. I don't think they've made an official okay. announcement. But gotcha. we, Eddie and I, know for sure that you're coming. We, we've already seen uh, in our area here in Indianapolis. You're going to be playing here pretty soon. So, so we, that's we, all being solidified right now. The, as we yeah. speak, the guys are banging their heads against the phones. Yeah, <laughs> we look forward to connecting with you. Straightened. I, it's a it's a it's a it's a you know I take my hat off to the guys. Yeah. Uh, managing themselves now it's not an easy task yeah. but well, it's something that I think they needed to do um, they had such bad luck yeah. in the past with other managers I, yeah. I don't really want to go into it but yeah. it's, a, it's a I mean Luke I'm, I'm so proud of him the way he's just taking the bull by the horns literally you know and yeah. he's doing it and just doing it great it's wearing them out yeah, <laughs> doing an incredible job, and I love him to death. And uh, he just wants to keep us going and keep us working. And the band sounds great. He's got the we got the right uh, chemistry and the right combination of people, crew and band. And it, you know, we're ready to do this. He's ready to do this, and we want to ramp up to 2018, which will be our 40th yeah. anniversary. So yep. that's amazing. we're going to be ramping this all up till then. To, to then to make a big. I think they have some big plans for that. Uh, 
Hey, one more quick question. Did you uh, did, did Steve Percaro have you play on any of his, uh, his tracks on his new album? Which didn't I play? On? Okay, all right. I thought you were right. <laughs> <laughs> it was so funny because I, I, we got the masters while we were out in Europe, and I, we, I listened to the whole thing. Yeah, I was like, oh, I play on that. Oh, should I play on that? Oh, because I I fragmented. I did a few one day, and then a month later, I did a few more. Right. So I kind of forgot what I <laughs> what I had done in total. Right. Yeah. And I realized I was practically on 80% of it, I think. That's awesome. Well, we're excited about that album. We can't wait for that to come out. Yeah, we actually finished our last interview was with Michael Sherwood. So, uh, yeah, that's yeah, right. That's right. That yeah. is such an incredible album. Let me tell you. Oh, oh my. The performances, everybody's performance. Uh, Mavuto and Mike McDonald and everybody that contributed. And, and, and of course, Steve, I mean, his writing yeah. and everything is just. This is a, a killer album. It really, I can't wait till. I think it's coming out in June. Yeah, we're all looking forward to it, you know. Oh, thank you, man. So yes. am I. So oh. am I very much. That's cool. Thank you so much, guys. It's been Many. a real pleasure. Thank yeah, you thanks so much, much for uh, hanging out and spending so much time with us. No it's doubt. long time anytime, coming. Anytime, anytime. Give me a shout, man. We'll hook it up. We'll do it again if you need. And yeah, I'm sure we'll, we'll, be we'll see you in the summer, too. Yeah, in yeah. August, we'll be seeing you here, okay? Okay, perfect. I'll be looking for you guys. Take right, care now. Take care. All right, take care. God bless. Bye-bye. 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 Special thanks to Lenny Castro for joining us on this episode of Inside Music Cast. We'd also like to thank our correspondents, Kim Riley, Brian Pearson, Scott Gross, Loretta Sassaman, Scott Sheriff, and Don Brightup for their continued support and content development for Inside Music Cast. Inside Music Cast is powered by Cabello Associates and Earshot Audio Post. For Eddie Cabello, I'm Rick Such. Thanks for listening to Inside Music Cast. <laughs>